I will say though, Mark not being protective makes complete sense because it's not just that he's trying to stave off Anton, but he's also extremely worried about a omnipresent God. Yes. So even if he does want to be protective or caring or anything like that, he will always be worried that Conchu is watching. I mean, I don't know how he managed to have sex with her in, at all, knowing that a god is watching them. He's a man. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. So this was a bit of a whirlwind of an episode, wasn't it? Yeah, and I've got sand in my crevices. <laughs> I'm not feeling this one. Gotta be honest, everybody. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it wasn't the best episode so far, but it wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't terrible, but I liked it even less on my second watch. Okay. When the issues with it became clearer to me. Mm -hmm. So this episode, just because of the nature of it, is going to be more of an overview rather than going beat by beat. But before we dive into it, we want to thank NH024 on Apple Podcasts for their recent review. They said, I've been listening to the Madams for about a year. That's us. The host. Oh, us again. <laughs> Chris and Amy have great chemistry and they keep each other on their toes. That we do. Truly fresh perspectives, humor and laughs abound. If you're looking for a fun MCU podcast, give the Adams a listen. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. And I do love teasing Madam Chris. She certainly does. So yeah, listen to uh, NH024, everybody, and hit that subscribe button. Because we're only halfway through Moon Knight. Got a lot more to go. Yep. All right. So this episode for me was just pretty hollow i don't know about hollow but it did feel like it was lacking well it was lacking steven yeah and therefore it was also lacking a lot of the depth that the first two episodes had and i feel like they really just thrust this plot forward at the expense of characterization which i understand where they're coming from because it's six episodes they need to get on with the plot so, and why don't you give us a quick summary of what we did see in episode three? Okay. So we start the episode with Layla, who is getting her passport made to follow Mark in Cairo. And we head over to Mark, and he is in the process of trying to get information out of these three thugs. Trying to being the key word, because a lot of stuff happens. Stephen pops in and out. Yes. and. In the end of it all, he doesn't get any information. Isn't it funny how thug is just one of those universal words? It is. Yeah. That's also yeah. what popped into my mind too. Immediately, thugs. <laughs> this was the way that one asshole was licking his knife was like the American equivalent of the gangbangers who turned their guns like idiots, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, dude, why would you lick your gun? It's unhygienic. And you might cut your and you might cut yourself. Because look, I'm crazy. 
That's why. <laughs> so, yeah. So after this little bit of a setback. <laughs> a little bit of a setback. <laughs> Continue. So Conchu decides to call for a board meeting. And as all corporate meetings go, that meeting wasn't very fruitful either. Did this trigger you having just been freed from your condo board yesterday? (laughs) You know, I didn't think of that, but thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) So this meeting didn't go well, but Yatsil, who was the avatar of goddess Hathor, had a sense of pity for Mark because clearly he was struggling. And what was with Conchu shouting all the time? I don't know, but it was fun to watch. (laughs) Yeah, it was. So Yatsil tells Mark about the sarcophagus of Senfu, and they were a medre who was the only person who recorded the location of Ahmed's tomb in case the gods decided to change their mind and bring her back. So while Mark is trying to find the sarcophagus, he meets Layla. They team up and head to Anton Morgoth's place, who is otherwise also known in the comics as Midnight Man. Yes, and we do want to mention uh, Gaspard Uliel, who's playing that part, uh, unfortunately passed away very suddenly in January in a skiing accident. Yeah. So RIP there. So these guys reach Anton and they have a chance to look at the sarcophagus. But before Stephen and Mark are able to figure anything out, Anton gets spooked and Arthur shows up. And after a rather weird conversation with Arthur, he decides to magically transport the sarcophagus, leaving the body and the clues behind, unbeknownst to him. Yeah. So then shit hits the fan, people die, Stephen shows up, and then he quickly bails while he's being impaled. Smart move. Yeah. And Mark and Layla run away into the desert trying to figure out the clues. But neither of them are able to figure it out. Eventually, Mark decides that he needs Stephen's help and allows Stephen to take over the body. So Stephen figures it out. They have the star chart. But the location would not quite be accurate because, you know, 2000 years ago, stars move, Earth moves, things like that. So Conchu decides to go nuclear and move the stars to 2000 years ago. Yeah, he pulled the Doctor Strange. We're going to get into that for sure. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But it works. And Layla's able to find the location. Meanwhile, the Ennead are not happy with Khonshu, so they decide to imprison him in a stone figurine known as a Shapti. It is a real thing that ancient Egyptians used during funerals. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So Mark slash Stephen lose consciousness. We don't know what's happening with him. And Arthur has a brief chat with Stone Conchu. Stonchu. <laughs> Basically telling him that you're the reason why I'm here and I enjoyed causing the pain that I did under your influence. 
And that's it. Not going to lie, half of me expected Ethan Hawke to say, you're not my dad. (laughs) So even though this episode was as long as the last, this was 53 minutes, I feel like they didn't accomplish a whole lot, even though it did drive the plot forward. Yeah, it did drive the plot forward. But the problem is that there were too many setbacks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's take it from the top. We're going to discuss what worked for us, what didn't work for us. Mm-hmm. At the top of the list for me is uh, Mark Spector's jeans. Yep. Yep. That's working. Yes, they are. <laughs> Costume department. Thank you very much. Yes. He certainly had uh, a better wardrobe than the last two episodes. He looked like a different person. Yes, I was quite distracted for the first 15 minutes of this episode. Uh-huh. She would have been singing a very different tune if Mark Spector accidentally lost his clothes rather than his mind. <laughs> so, I mean, the fights were good. That chase scene through Cairo reminded me a lot of uh, the opening to Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I will say I was not happy with the CGI in this episode again. It did seem like, especially when Mark is standing against the sky, it felt green screen. Something yeah. is a bit off in the C- with the CGI in this show. Yeah, I was feeling some Shang-Chi vibes there. Mm-hmm. Now, we're still going to talk plenty about Oscar Isaac, but I want to give Ethan Hawke his due here. What a fantastic performance. Again, so many layers to Arthur Harrow. Yes, indeed. And this guy... He's a solid villain so far. He is three steps ahead of the game and the smartest person in the room. Yep, absolutely. And he's 100% on board. He is convinced that what he's doing is the right thing. Mark knows what he's doing is the right thing, but he has a lot of other stuff going on. And part of him is coerced into doing this. Yeah, and the bigger problem for me is that I find Arthur more compelling than Mark. Yeah. But not compared to Steven. No, no. Two entirely separate things. Mm-hmm. Harrow is a force to contend with here. That meeting of the Ennead really shows exactly what Arthur Harrow was made of. The way he turned the tables on Conchu and Mark was brilliant. And half of me hated him for it and half of me couldn't help but respect it. Yeah, he's certainly very charismatic and knows how to think on his feet. He probably had a plan for it because he did mention, I'm going to be called any time. I think he wanted this to happen. Yeah, yeah. He knows Khonshu. He knows the moves he's going to make. And I think partly was able to manipulate this into happening because he knew exactly what to do. He put Khonshu, who's already got a lot of black marks on his record, and mark on trial here and he did it by playing the victim and like you said the reason he does that so well is because he believes it yeah and i think part of that is true you know because if we're gonna say mark is victimized partly by conchu we also have to acknowledge that arthur was victimized by conchu sure no denying that but you have to keep in mind that he did have some kind of dealings with the avatar of Osiris. We saw that at the end of the episode. He had already had a chat with these avatars. Right. And their minds were kind of already made up because 
they didn't even ask for any kind of evidence. They didn't give Khonshu a chance to make his case. They just dismissed him. Mm -hmm. Well, the way he went about it wasn't great either. True. In a very emotional fashion with Harrow being super calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the part of me that hates this, but it's also, you know, brilliant on Harrow's part, and it speaks to a larger theme, is using Mark's mental illness against him here. Mm -hmm. And Oscar Isaac does a great job in this scene. Just very simple. I am unwell. I need help. Yes. And he's speaking the truth. It's not like he's lying about it. Absolutely. This scene is really a microcosm when it comes to the stigma of mental illness and the victim blaming that can take place because of it. And mm -hmm. this kind of thing makes people with mental illness extra vulnerable in society because people can and do point to their psychiatric history as a reason for them to lack credibility. Yes, absolutely. We see this all the time with victims of violent crimes or witnesses, especially women. If they have any kind of psych history, even if it's not official, even if, you know, they can get a bunch of men on the witness stand to say, oh, we saw her, you know, screaming at her kids one day in Walmart, you know, they can be discredited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that stigma also makes a lot of people afraid to get help. Sure. Yeah. And also within the show itself, countless people have figured out already what's wrong with Mark or Stephen, yet nobody's willing to help. Powerful gods were not willing to help. They just dismissed him. That's very true. Yeah, he made the request and they completely ignored him. Yeah. In fact, the closest person who came to help him was the HR manager who fired him. You're right about that. He did try to help. He offered the resources. Mm -hmm. Even if he did it in a way that it was just about ticking off the boxes, but that offer was there. Yeah. I mean, I see this all the time in military life. A lot of active duty service members are still afraid to get counseling because of how it might affect their careers. No matter how much the powers that be say it won't, no matter how much policies have changed. And that's just one of the reasons why military suicide rates right now, guys, are at an all time high. Mm -hmm. And Mark is, from what we know, a mercenary. He does have military training. Yes. And, you know, I thought in those first two episodes, they did such a great job dealing with the mental illness. And because Stephen was sidelined almost entirely in the episode, that also went away. Yeah, it did. In this episode, it was more of a plot point than it was about Mark or Stephen. And since you pointed out in episode two, now I can't hear anything but that broken glass crunching around <laughs> in Arthur's sandals. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, and it's safe to say, now that we've seen his conversation there with uh, Kanchu, he most definitely does that to punish himself. Yes, absolutely. That's a, another part of his atonement for his enjoyment of his work with Kanchu. Mm -hmm. His freelance yeah. consulting. <laughs> but as smart and manipulative as Arthur is, he has blinders on too. He doesn't see that he just traded one flawed god for another or that he's still a slave. Yeah, sure. And because he is such a true believer, the only way to stop Arthur Harrow is going to be to kill him. Yeah, and that's the point. 
And yeah. that's what Khonshu wants. All right. So moving on from Arthur, we now know for sure, and we both went into this knowing, thanks to some uh, clever people on Twitter who pointed this out, that there is a third personality within Mark. Yeah. We got a hint of it in this episode because neither Mark nor Steven killed those two guys. So who did? Right. And we can safely say it definitely wasn't Mark who asked out that tour guide in episode one. No way. Yeah, because we were under the assumption that it was just Mark and Steven. But now that we know there's a possibility of someone else, it's likely that Mark was not the one who asked that lady out because he's a bit preoccupied. Yeah, and he also wouldn't want to bring an innocent woman into the fold, potentially. True. Yeah. I mean, he's leaving his wife behind so that she doesn't become a target. Why should he bring a random stranger in? Right. And, you know, as I said, Oscar Isaac's performance, it's just absolutely stellar, even if the episode itself was lacking. Yeah, he is amazing. I think this episode, for all its flaws, Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac were, were the shining stars. Yes. The way he's flipping back and forth between Stephen and Mark in the moment and then channeling Kachu in the NEN mm -hmm. meeting, I'm like, oh my God, his veins are going to explode. <laughs> What Marvel asked Bettany and Olsen to do in WandaVision was absolutely incredible. What they asked Hiddleston to do and Loki took that to another level. And what they have asked Oster Isaac here to do is just insane. I've, I've never seen anything quite like this before. If this man doesn't deserve an Emmy for this performance, I don't know who the hell does. Yeah, I agree. He's fantastic. All right. So we mentioned Layla a little bit. I'm having some trouble with her generally speaking. We're halfway through. I know we've still got, you know, plenty of show to go. And I'm really hoping they do more with her character because she's feeling pretty unnecessary at this point and just not fleshed out at all. Yeah, she's basically a conduit between Mark and Stephen. If it weren't for her, Mark would not have agreed to let Stephen help in any way. Because at the end of the day, this is all about Mark and Stephen. It's not about her. And Mark is actively trying to push her away. So her part, her role is limited for sure. But I can't blame the actress for that. Yeah, I think it's more of a problem with the writing at this point. Mm -hmm. We're told in the cold open that Layla is essentially a cross between Indiana Jones and Evie from The Mummy. So. I feel a disconnect between what we're told about her and what we see her doing and not doing. Like it, it almost feels like she's being deliberately held back from her potential for the sake of the whole Mark and Steven dynamic. I felt that a couple of times. Which makes sense. Yes. Yeah. This entire episode, the writing is not quite what we expect out of Marvel anymore. Yeah. And as the episode got further along, I'm just feeling like, ah, they just shoehorned a woman in here because they knew they needed to have a woman. Mm -hmm. And it's not malicious, but it's lazy and I don't like it. Like you said, well, they only have six episodes. Well, then they need to craft a story that properly fits into those six episodes. You know? True. Yeah. It's not like they go into this not knowing how much time they have. Sure. Yes. I also wasn't crazy about the whole dynamic with Layla and Anton. And gotta say, again, RIP. This dude looks like a French Aaron Eckhart, doesn't he? 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't really care much for his character. Yeah, the tension there felt icky. Like, okay, he he does rich, entitled asshole very well. Mm-hmm. There's clearly a history with Layla, and the combination of his whole persona and that history makes him come off as kind of a creep. And to me, it felt like Layla was kind of caught in the middle of these two alpha males facing off, but it's one-sided and it speaks to a larger problem with Mark and Layla's relationship. They chose to have Anton come off as a creep. If you're going to do that, then you need to have Mark act like a husband, even if for nothing else than your cover story. Like he needs to act like a bit more of a husband and maybe be just a little bit protective, you know, again, a disconnect. I didn't get the creep vibe. He plays a rich asshole very well, sure. But aside from that one thing where he takes his time to shake Mark's hand, I didn't get anything that was creepy about it. Oh, I totally got the vibe of she was the one that got away or didn't fall at his feet. I didn't get that. Interesting. How did you guys feel about that? Let us know. Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Adams. Are you team creep or team just an asshole? Let us know. (laughs) I will say, though, Mark not being protective makes complete sense because it's not just that he's trying to stave off Anton, but he's also extremely worried about an omnipresent God. Yes. So even if he does want to be protective or caring or anything like that, he will always be worried that Conchu is watching. I mean, I don't know how he managed to have sex with her at all, knowing that a god is watching them. He's a man. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the answer. (laughs) So since we're spending this episode in Africa, we figured we'd introduce you guys to the True Crime South Africa podcast. South Africa, a country whose spectacular beauty and dynamic people are known the world over. But there's another side to our country, and one that is rarely discussed in the detail it deserves. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, on True Crime South Africa, South Africa's first victim-focused true crime podcast, as we go beyond the headlines focus on the victims, and explore some of South Africa's most heinous, violent crimes. True Crime South Africa is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. know that Amy and I are very different people. One of the greatest challenges in building our business has been overcoming our contrasting relationship with technology. That's a nice way of saying Amy has a silicon thumb while I can break a computer just by looking at it sideways. And we know many of you fall into one of these camps, so we're here to tell you about one of our favorite products using a bilingual approach. Take it away, Amy. Backblaze is a cloud-based backup solution for all your data storage needs. Backblaze is a kind of digital safe where you can protect your photos, home videos, 
and important documents from things like fire, floods, or people like me who can delete their entire business from Google Drive without even knowing it. With its simple user interface and smooth setup, Backblaze is accessible to everyone. Backblaze is easy enough for Luddites like me to use without breaking anything. Use the link in our show notes to get a 15-day free trial of Backblaze and help support the marvelous madams. You get two weeks free before you buy, and we get money too. When it comes to data, they have your back. All right, so let's talk more about uh, Mr. Spectre and thus Layla. It pains me to say, because I was really looking forward to meeting Mark and getting some backstory, learning more about him. Um, nothing. Yeah, we don't get any backstory on him. We get no characterization at all. Yeah, he's just your average military dude. He's barely even that. He's just empty, boring. There's nothing to him. And it's even more glaring because Steven is so colorful and fleshed out. Yeah, but I can see why Mark is the way he is. Because he's already struggling with mental illness. And we don't know how long he's been struggling with it. Plus, he's in servitude of a god who treats him like shit. And let's be honest, the god is not exactly the smartest god of them all. And he's dealing with a lot. He has, he, he's probably depressed as well. Look at him. Well, that's the thing, though, is you have an incredible actor here who can portray all of that. Mm-hmm. And they give him nothing to work with in that script for, for Mark. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I agree. And because of that, I don't care about him at all. I only care about Mark insofar as that he is the body that contains Stephen. I care about Mark when Stephen is in trouble. I want Mark to take over to save Stephen. Right, because you care about Stephen, not Mark. Yes. I can't tell if the writers want this. I don't know where they're going with this. I feel like they've created a number of problems for themselves. Well, we don't know what the bigger plan is. We don't know if Mark is going to disappear and Stephen stays. If that is the case, then I think we will all be very happy. Yeah, there's a lot of things up in the air here. And another thing that I'm hoping for, so in the comics, Mark being Jewish was a really big part of his identity. And halfway through, we've gotten nothing on this because we've gotten nothing on anything. All we literally know is his name. And I feel like, and I feel like at this point, we've got to have more than that if you want us to connect with or care about this guy at all. Well, you have to think about it in this way. We're halfway through the series, sure. But this is our actual first episode with Mark. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. But there are plenty of ways to add some layers and nuance. I just feel like this episode did a total 180 from the first two. Yeah, it did. The first two episodes were about discovering the world, discovering what was happening to Stephen. And Oscar Isaac did such a fantastic job with him. And then in this episode, we've got this straight-laced, average Joe sort of guy that is not compelling. But I do think that over time, over the next couple of episodes, we will get to know more about Mark and Hopefully Oscar Isaac will get a chance to 
sink his teeth into this character. I hope so. Because, I mean, look at a guy like Frank Castle. Look how much John Berthold did with his first episode of Daredevil. You know, he didn't even have much to say, but we got an awful lot of characterization about him nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And we know that the writers on this show are capable of that. So that's where my disappointment lies. Yeah, but I'm not quite willing to write them off till the end of the show. Every show has its hiccups. Every, show's, every show has its bad episodes. They can still recover. I think I'm nervous because I felt this way with Hawkeye too. And we all know how that went. <laughs> so I also really struggled with Mark and Layla's relationship here. Yeah, they didn't have much chemistry, which is surprising. Yeah, it's a big problem when you have two characters in an existing relationship, in a marriage. I don't believe these two as a couple for a second. Yeah, and a lot of that hesitancy does come from Mark, which is, again, understandable. With her, I don't know. I really don't know. But I will say that at the end of the episode, when she's speaking to Stephen... They had some fantastic chemistry. Yeah, that came through for like three and a half seconds. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, this is what we need. But I'm also not quite sure what the show is trying to say with that either. I don't know. But if I was Layla, I'd be thinking, oh, shit, I'm falling in love with my husband's altar. How does that work? Well, I don't know if she would think that because it, it doesn't seem to me like Layla does a whole lot of thinking. Like this reunion scene, you know, when they first come together here for this team up, Mark and Layla, this is way too abrupt. Like this is super rushed. And I feel like the way Layla behaves in this episode and responds to Mark, it's nothing like the way she responded in episode two. Like her reactions in episode two were much more realistic than mm -hmm. here. This is not how two people who are still technically married, or who were considering divorce, this is not how they would behave in this situation. There would definitely have to be more of a discussion about all the shit that went down in London. Which is exactly what he said. Can we take a pause on that so that we can get through this night? And I think a part of her is being on guard because she knows she's been hurt and she knows something is seriously wrong. It's one thing to table the relationships up that's fine but the way they respond to each other the whole interaction it doesn't match like what they went through they talk to each other like they're work acquaintances who just got out of a meeting and now need to put a project together and there's also like no foundation for it like i could have really used a couple of matt and foggy style flashbacks here so we could see them as they once were see that they have a shared history. Well, we don't even get any references to that. Yeah, sure. So I just don't care about them at all. But think about this. What if this is their relationship? What if them getting married and being in a relationship was just the adrenaline of what they've been doing, have the adventures they've been having? They have mentioned that, well, Layla mentioned that she doesn't know Mark and they don't talk. They don't talk about the real stuff and she doesn't know anything about him. Like every time she said, every time I hear another thing about you, like a secret, I think, OK, there can't be any more secrets. Their relationship was shallow and it continues to be shallow. 
So if that's what they're trying to portray, they're doing a bang up job. Well, I got news for Layla, too. He's keeping another secret because he's definitely lying to you about your father. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell that. Yeah, so then that goes to show that she takes him on his word, even when he's lying. We know very obviously that he's lying. I know it reflects badly on her. That's just it. She comes off as an idiot. Yeah, but this seems to be their relationship. It's just a mess for me. It is a mess. Yeah. Their relationship is a mess, which is understandable because Mark is mentally unwell and he's not addressing it. His relationships are going to be a mess. Well, he said he had it under control until very recently. So we don't know what that means. If he was on medication, if he was in therapy and in treatment, we don't know. Yeah, we don't. But he never told his wife about it. If he was on medication or in therapy or anything of that sort, she would have known if they were living together. She would have known that he's at least taking some kind of medication. Oh, my dear, my dear, you would be amazed what you can hide in a marriage. Well, that's true. And that's what we're seeing in this show. People hide a lot more than taking pills. Mm -hmm. But I guess what the crux of it is, is all we can do is speculate because they haven't given us anything concrete. Yeah. And that's, that's my big problem. Yeah. And I don't think we will get much in terms of their relationship for the next couple of episodes. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. I think it's going to be much more plot based than the first two episodes were. I do think we will get to know more about Arthur in the next episode. Yeah, I kind of care more about that at this point. Mm -hmm. He's doing a good job, so why shouldn't we? Yeah. And, you know, we talked about how compelling Arthur is, but Stephen is even more so. Stephen is the heart of the show. And the fact that he was barely in this is a real problem. Yeah, it is. But we will get to see more of him. Yeah, I mean, my favorite parts of the episode, sans jeans, uh, were Stephen's brief appearances <laughs> in his, you know, myriad of reflective surfaces. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't have Stephen, we also didn't have the bits of levity that were so key to the first two episodes. Yeah, this episode was a lot more serious, aside from Contra taking over Mark. That was funny. Oh, really? You you found that funny? I found it a bit funny, like Mark's reaction to being taken over for like a sentence and then Contra disappearing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't find that funny at all. I felt like he was in pain. He was shocked initially, but later on, yes, it did move to pain. So let's talk about this third personality. The one thing we definitely know is that neither Mark or Stephen is aware of him. Yes, and he certainly seems a lot more trigger happy than either of them. Yeah, and I do like the idea of a third altar, but the execution of this, uh, no pun intended, was also lacking. You know, I totally get that Mark does not want to think about the possibility of a third personality, but there is a difference in in portrayal. There is a difference between denial and, you know, a little bit of quick fear and just the writers ignoring it and not acknowledging it all. And they went with the latter. Yeah, but we will get to know more about this second altar for sure. And that's when we'll see how Mark and Stephen react to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Mark needed to have some kind of reaction. 
in this episode? A lot of things needed to happen in this episode. Keeping aside the characterization of things, even the plot didn't quite make sense. They could have resolved a lot of things without going the God route. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to give this show leeway because it's so different. But halfway through, I just don't know what this is. They're losing me on the narrative. They're losing me on the the character journeys. I don't even know who to call the protagonist. And that's not just because of the Mark and Steven dynamics, because Arthur is actually the driving force of the show. He is, yes. And Mark slash Steven slash Conchu are all playing catch-up. Exactly. It feels too one-sided. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you look at a movie like The Dark Knight, where it's really the Joker's movie, but, you know, Batman and Gordon and Dent, they're still being proactive in some way, even as they are reacting so that together they are an equal force against the Joker. And here, though, it feels very unbalanced. It does. It feels like Mark and Conchu are the underdogs, which is not unusual for us to see. Mm -hmm. But poorly executed. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, so far poorly executed. Let's see what happens moving forward. I'm not giving up yet. I was also annoyed with the whole concept of the Inead and their pledge uh, not to interfere with humans just because it made me think of Eternals. <laughs> see, I thought they were more like petulant babies. They don't worship us anymore, so we're not going to help them. That's another way to look at it. Yeah, they abandoned us. Mm. So they're off doing their own thing. They refuse to take responsibility for anything in this episode. So on one side, we've got, you're not my dad. and the other. You're dead to me. <laughs> okay, so about those murky plot points. Yeah, let's start with Arthur. Uh, what was the point of him showing up at this uh, circus slash sarcophagus meeting? Was to foil Mark's plan by taking the sarcophagus. Only thing is, he didn't actually take what needed to be taken. Okay, I had a little trouble following that. Why don't you explain that a little bit? Because I doubt I'm the only one who got a little lost there. Okay, so like we know that Mark was supposed to go and find the sarcophagus of Senfu, where Ahmet's tomb's location is located, but it was assumed that the directions or the instructions will be on the sarcophagus itself, but it wasn't. It was on Senfu's body with those pieces of cloth. So what Arthur did was take the sarcophagus, which was the base assumption. He left those pieces of cloth along with the mummy there in that glass pyramid. And that's how Mark was finally able to get a break because Arthur made a mistake. How cute was Stephen fanboying over the Great Pyramid? <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. Okay, so that explains that. But there is no explanation for Kanchu going nuclear and revamping the whole sky. Yeah, I mean, the MCU is full of futuristic tech. They could have very easily had Layla say, hey, I have this app that tells us what the constellations were 2,000 years ago. And boom, boom, boom. Here we go. This is it. That doesn't even need crazy MCU tech. I'm pretty sure we can do that. I'm pretty sure astronomers can do that math of where things were in the sky at different points. 
in civilization. Yeah. As far as I know, we can do that. Yeah, and they're in Cairo. Like Mark says, the Egyptians fucking invented navigation. You're going to tell me there's not one astronomy professor at the University of Cairo that they could give a quick call and he could give them this information? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The only reason I feel like they did that and Conchu had to change the stars was to basically get him out of the way to nerf Mark. Yeah, and that's why it's giving me those Hawkeye vibes. You know, because that same thing happened on that show where they where they sacrificed logic and characterization just to make certain things happen. It's so contrived mm-hmm. and no bueno. True. This would be like Doctor Strange casting the spell for Peter and basing the whole movie on that spell without ever acknowledging the absurdity of it and the mistake of not realizing that they could have come up with a more reasonable solution. <laughs> Yeah, Conchu just went from zero to nuclear for no reason. And Stephen, of all people, he's smart. He could have been able to think, hey, maybe somebody's done this. Yeah, I mean, Stephen does seem to have an awful lot of very convenient information, doesn't he? (laughs) I mean, he does spend his nights studying Egyptian history and mythology. Yeah, well, since we're on that, I have a few questions here, and that's one of them. So we've discussed the reasons that Mark might have created Stephen. And I think, yes, you know, like we said, Stephen is who Mark would like to be, the man he thinks Layla would want. But there's this convenient knowledge that goes even beyond just being necessary for the show. Although with this writing, I don't know. I'm wondering if Mark created Stephen in a way to like go undercover and get more information for this mission. Like that part of Steven's personality, that interest was Mark manifesting through him for this mission. That's possible. You know who Steven is? Who? He's the guy in the chair. Yes! He is magic! Yeah. (laughs) All these shows that we have of crime solving and all of that, You've got the straight-laced cop who's going around arresting people, which is Mark. You have the guy in the chair who conveniently knows all the languages and knows all the tech and suddenly is a hacker, suddenly is an engineer the next day. That is Stephen. And you have Layla, who is there because a woman is needed to break up the sausage fest. You're absolutely right. And now I kind of want Stephen and Ned to form their own private investigation business (laughs) i'd watch that show and conchu is the superior officer who gets in the way of everything oh my god he's captain holt yep that's absolutely right pretty much although i love captain holt so (laughs) but you know what i mean conchu in this episode in fact was a little more approachable than in the other in the previous episode that's true he actually used steven's name at one point yeah and he spoke to him with a mediocre of respect and he was kind of, you know, lounging on the broken chair when when the young boy, you know, killed himself and all of that. Yeah. So we mentioned that quick drop of Madripoor. I actually thought to myself five minutes before they said that, hey, this episode kind of reminds me of the Madripoor episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Well, there you go. I'm wondering, you know, if Layla sticks around, she spent time in Madripoor, she's in the antiquity business. Has she had dealings with Sharon Carter? 
Were they friendly or not? Possible. We're going to see some of that in the future? I would look forward to that. Certainly. I would look forward to watching that. I don't know. I miss Sharon. I do too. I do too. I'm not ready to say I'd, I'd want that because I'm not sure how I feel about Mei Kalamawi, who's playing Layla. See, it's not so much about that. It's about getting Sharon back. That's true. Yes. I very much want to see Ms. Carter again in any capacity. Mm-hmm. And I do miss another Carter. Well, she's gone for good. Don't you say that. No. <laughs> You're right, though. It's Marvel. You'd never know. Yes. And what if season two, Captain Carter, is a big part of it? And I'm holding on to that. Now, I just... I have to interject here because you guys all know how Amy gets on my case for my uh, attraction to various men. I have yet to pine over a cartoon. (laughs) I just want to point that out. Feel that should weigh heavily on my side. A, it's been a while. (laughs) B, she says that, yet for my birthday, she commissioned a Captain Carter image for me. Yes, I did. Because I love you. You got nothing. Nothing. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) So here's another question. Conchu had mentioned after that kid killed himself, Conchu had talked to Mark about the Inead meeting saying, oh, I got banished last time. They might imprison me. Oh, what will you do without my healing armor? Now that Conchu actually is in prison, does that mean Mark has lost the armor? Lost the suit? Likely, yeah. In fact, he lost consciousness as soon as Conchu was in prison. So we don't know what's his condition in the first place. That's true. And we don't know who the body will be when it wakes up. Yeah. Layla may or may not be in danger. Yeah, and yay or nay. And we want to hear your guys' thoughts on this too. Do you think Mark killed Layla's father? Or is it another altar? Either way. Mm-hmm. Let us know. I think he totally did. Put it this way. I lean 75% Mark killed him or 25% Mark knows things about Layla's father that she doesn't that would tarnish her memory. Yeah, I'm sure one of the other is going to come to light. But I'm not sure about the killing bit because of the math of when he died 10 years ago versus like what was Mark doing then or if it was Mark who was in charge at that time. We don't know. Yeah, there could be any number of explanations. Mm -hmm. If they give us one at all. If this ends up being Vera Farmiga all over again, I'm going to fucking scream. So on that note, we wrap up this rather short episode. Yes, and we would like to thank our newest patron, newest member of the Sanctum Sanctorum, Ruthann Price. Thank you so much for your support. And those of you who are members of the Sanctum, we really hope you've enjoyed our episode on Crimson Peak. For those who want to hear our very first Marvelish movie episode, just head to our Patreon, use the link in our show notes, and for $5 a month, you will have access to Crimson Peak and all our subsequent Marvelish movies. Yes, and if you have had a chance to listen to it, please let us know what you think. Yeah, this is for you guys. Need your feedback. Yep. 
Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for episode four of Moon Knight. And hopefully Mark changes in the car again or takes a shower. I need something to look forward to. You <laughs> In the meantime, come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And don't forget, at the end of this show, we have a roundtable coming up and there are only two spots left. Yes, so make your presence known, guys. We could talk about this shit all day. We want to. Yes, and anyone who defends my Captain Carter obsession gets an automatic ticket to the round table. That is not true. (laughs) I should try my best to do that. Disclaimer. (laughs) And for more content and our blog, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. just causing me more problems that I don't need. Of course, any man walking has causes you issues. <laughs> I can't help it. It's ovulation day. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs>